Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. everybody to another episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast this week uh we're giving a little bit of love to a couple states where we got a strong listenership but we don't do a lot of guests from these places unfortunately but we have found a great one for the states of texas and oklahoma mr colton ship colton how are you doing hey man i couldn't be better how are you guys doing doing good jacob how are you doing over there doing well i'm excited man i'm pumped up for this episode this is gonna be my third podcast i've recorded so far today and uh the funny thing is i think listeners are going to hear this episode a little bit you know later on in the year right now but colton super excited to kind of have this conversation with you and talk some details um and there's gonna be a lot of details here so i'm not gonna say like any one thing at the very beginning is gonna be like the topic of this podcast but it's definitely gonna be something that people are going to want to listen to and pay attention uh-huh. to especially as you see the uh the the title 
this podcast talking something to do with uh, postseason, not postseason, but post-rut hunting uh, for some monster bucks on public land. But Colton, to kind of kick us off real quick, give us your background because I want to hear about, and I, I want the listeners to understand this because we have a lot of listeners in East Texas. How did you get into hunting public land and how did that get you into Oklahoma? Like what what's that background there? So basically my stepfather, he got me into hunting uh, at seven years old. I killed my first deer when I was eight and it's just been, it's been a chase ever since. Y'all know how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, and yeah, I grew up hunting Northeast Texas. Everybody, everybody has their family farms that they hunt, you know, whether it's 20 acres, 200 acres or, or whatever it might be. Uh, if you got, you know, more than 200 acres, you're, you, you got a maid. Uh, but then, you know, I got, I got into, I don't know, I got out of high school and I started, I started wanting to venture out, you know, uh, eventually people get tired of watching all these other guys on YouTube and outdoor channel hunt the Midwest and stuff. And now it's my turn. And, uh, so yeah, a buddy of mine, he had, he had a lease up in Southeast Oklahoma and he said, man, I got a spot on it. Why don't you get on it? I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love it. And I went up there. I just kind of fell in love with the place and um, hunted a year and uh, decided that lease wasn't really working out for me. And I went somewhere else and I got on a different private lease. It was much larger. Um, it was pushing 40,000 acres. And then um, the problem I had with that lease is typical lease politics. And uh, everybody knows how that can go. And then it, it's all paper land. Uh, well, we call it paper land where, you know, it's nothing but pine trees and basically they were scalping this place and it just kind of pushed me into, into public land. And, um, being from Texas, we don't have a lot of public land in the state of Texas. And so naturally the public land we do have, it's over hunted and it's, it's just not any good. Um, so I kind of had that mentality going in. I think this public land is junk and, I just kind of took a leap of faith and went over there and I set up like 10, 10 random cameras. I came back a week later. I set these cameras up early in November. So it was right there about the magic time. And, uh, I came back and I had like five bucks over 150 inches on these cameras. So it's been, I've been a diehard public land guy ever since. And I won't, I won't ever hunt anything else except for public land. Yeah, and that's the, that's kind of the interesting part here is how you transitioned from you know some of these bigger leases. I mean, forty thousand acres—that's a monster lease. But you find it I, is. It's more and more common the farther west you get. Uh, you know, here in Alabama, that that would be that would be a massive. <laughs> Could you imagine that, man? No, no I, yeah, um, <laughs> one person can't cover forty thousand acres. So it wasn't like I was hunting. I mean, I had my little area that I liked. You know, I've covered maybe 5,000 acres of it, uh, and that, that's a stretch alone. Um, so one person, it might as well have been public land, but the problem with leases is they tend to, they tend to have too many people on them, um, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, because, you know, they got to get that lease paid, so you got to do what you got to uh-huh. do. Can, um, how much do you think that costs, that lease cost? Oh, man, I'd t- love to know. Well, I don't know. It might be cheaper because of where it's at. Uh I don't know. Leases uh, around I, here. I don't think so. What? 12, 15 bucks an acre around here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so, that'd be a lot, man. That'd be a lot. It, it was a hundred and it was a hundred and thirty thousand dollars is what that lease was mm. every year. Daggum. Lose your answer. Uh, 
So, but I want to kind of get into uh, just that transition. So you, you were hunting all this uh, private land, kind of getting private, branched out from, you know, mm-hmm. Texas up to Oklahoma, started liking Oklahoma, especially when you started running cameras on public and you're like, man, like, you know, this is, this is really taking off. You know, you had, you know, a handful of bucks over 150 inches on trail camera that you just kind of randomly put out there just to decide to like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's try it. What was that conversation like with your buddies or, or whoever else was in that club released with you? And, and uh, when you were like, Hey, maybe we should like, Go over to the public. I mean, what, what was that conversation like? Yeah, that was probably the best conversation I ever had in my life. Um, so I, I, snuck, I didn't tell nobody that I was going over there. And I just kind of snuck over there. Everybody was at home. They're working or whatever. And I was up there kind of running and going to solo. Well, I just got fed up with it. And so I snuck over there and, you know, I, I got the pictures and I came back. And I told my buddies that the weekend came and a couple of my buddies were up there and I'm like, Hey, look, look at these pictures I got. So I pulled them out and I showed them. And one of them was actually that, that one buck that we're going to talk about. And, um, they're like, unbelievable. Where's this at? I'm like, well, <laughs> it ain't on this lease. And they're like, well, where's it at? You, you poaching somebody's land or what? I'm like, no, no, it's public land. Um, let's go. And they, Ever since, I mean, we moved everything. We gave up where we were at and just flat out just picked up everything in the middle of the night and just moved over to public. And, you know, we just kind of abandoned the lease. And that's basically how it went. Yeah. But again, looking back at it, that was probably a pretty good decision if I had to guess. It, it was, yeah. It was, it was a great decision. So you had actually, I, I want to kind of put this out there. So you actually reached out to us, uh, I think it was late last year. Uh, we had done an episode on, it might have been after um, uh, Dave Toms came on the podcast. Uh, we were talking East to East Texas, and uh, you've reached out like, hey, you know, from, you know, that area, but, you know, I've had success in, you know, Oklahoma and stuff like that, and you sent some photos. And I didn't really, you did mention they were public land, and they are, they are some giant deer. I mean, this is, again, I'm coming from Alabama. Around here, a really good deer is 125 inches. Like, that's that's a, you know, you're doing something, you get over yeah. that, that's, you know, significant, and you're killing some absolute yeah. giants, dude. Um, and you've only been hunting public land for, like, in Oklahoma. How, how many years have you now been hunting there? This will be my in Oklahoma or public land. Uh, Oklahoma. Uh, this will be my eighth year, I believe. Okay. And uh, can you can we talk a little bit about this early on in this podcast? Like, what has been some of that success you've had? And then we're gonna get a little bit more into the like how that success has come about. Along with this, I'll say this as well. This you know state record that's walking around that you're trying to kill. The state record typical that's an absolute giant. Yeah. So. At first, there was there was no success. It was basically a slap in the face because I went up there. You know, it's, it's mountainous terrain, and it's tough. I mean, those deer, uh, it, they're tough. Uh, they're tough to hunt, and so I had to I had to basically relearn how to hunt. And I killed a I killed a hundred and fifty two inch eight point um, in two thousand and eighteen, and that was the first. 150 plus inch deer that I killed and I killed them by straight luck I, I and I say it was luck I happened to put the camera in the right spot and the deer just happened to be working that scrape line um but did I know to put that camera there no I didn't but I'm not afraid to admit that that deer was more more luck than anything and then you know deer season to me is a is a 12 month long thing I you have to be studying non-stop or these deer will just, just, they'll beat you every time. 
And I'd say three years ago is when I, 2019 is when I, I first, I killed 176 inch buck. Um, and that was the one I, I called, I called it. I said, I'm going to kill him at eight 30 in the morning on November the 6th. I mean, uh, December the 6th and I can't go in there until that morning. Um, I, I shot him at eight twenty seven that morning at, at eight yards. And that's, I'd say 2019 is when I finally put myself over that hump. Okay. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I got something figured out and it's bed hunting. That's, that's how I figured out how to kill them is to find their bed and kill them in, in their beds. So I want to, I want to get into that a little bit deeper. So you just, you walked right into the question I was about to ask, <laughs> uh, what changed, you know, from what you said you had to relearn how to deer hunt, what all did that entail? So you just kind of touched on the bed hunting. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So basically in 2019, I was on, it was on the lease and there was, there was a group of hunters. They're from, you know, my, my hometown, close to my hometown. And, uh, they were on the lease. We don't really, you know, it's kind of one of the competition deals. And, uh, Anyways, well, they, they had also gotten a picture of this buck. And I had I had early season, well before season, I had pictures of them. I just didn't tell nobody. Well, um, they got a picture of them, and they were also hunting them. And, of course, no deer hunter wants to hear that somebody else is hunting the deer that they're also hunting. Um, I don't care where you go. That's just the way it is. But... It was late season. It was getting towards a late run. I'd say about November 20th, 25th, somewhere in there. And I had already scattered cameras out everywhere that I could possibly imagine to relocate this deer. Because I only had one picture of them early season before season even started. I saw the deer October 1st on open a day, but it was kind of a fluke deal. He just happened to be walking by and he was out of boat. He was out of bow range. So what happened was. I got, I really don't know what the word is, maybe anxious, I guess. And I just told myself, I have to get aggressive or these guys are going to kill the buck of my dreams. So I found a spot on Onyx. I had no clue how to get there. It was, it was forever through the, through the mountains. And, um, a buddy of mine that had lived up there his whole life, he knew, he knew he had a name for every tree up there. And, uh, he told me how to get there. And I knew it was, if the deer was in there, it was probably where he was living. And I went in there, and sure enough, I mean, there he had beds. He had three or four beds just everywhere in there. And um, everybody told me, don't don't go in there. You're stupid if you go in there. And I'm like, you don't understand. I got to kill this deer, or or they're fixing to kill him. And um, of course, all they had was nighttime pictures of him. And you know, since then I've learned, you know, a guy just getting nighttime pictures of him, he really ain't no threat to you because he's probably not going to kill that deer. Um, well, a buddy of mine, he helped me carry my Millennium in there and, and we hung it. And I hunted the first day in that sit and I just hung the camera. I had no idea that this deer was even in there. I had a, I had a small idea, but I just knew a big deer was in there. It just looked like a big deer area. Well, come to find out that evening, he came in and he bedded up about 70 yards from it for three hours. It was the worst three hours of my life. 
and he got up and he walked out right before dark and i was excited because i'm like okay well the deer's still alive for one and two i'm in his i'm in his back door um i'm fixing to kill him and three days later i killed the deer so you earlier in that story you said you found a spot on on x and it was way through the mountains Mm -hmm. and and everyone told you not to go in there what caught your eye about that spot on the map so it was it was basically a saddle um in a deep hole and where i originally had pictures it was on top of the mountain uh kind of it was like a oak ridge and he was just coming up there feeding and you know how it is it's big timber um them deer when you got a 500 acre section of nothing but white oaks well you can't it's hard to pinpoint a deer in there they're just kind of scattered everywhere um and case, you know, I, I got lucky, and I got a picture of him early season, and that's the only picture I got. And then I'm looking on Onyx later in the season, and I'm just spreading cameras out everywhere. I got like 15, 20 cameras out, and I, it's just no sign of them. Um, I found this one spot on Onyx. It was 1.7 miles away as a crow flies from where I had pictures of him um, early in the season. And it was a saddle, uh, a big creek. There was a big creek that ran through them at the bottom of the saddle. Uh, had run of water year round. Uh, I would call it more of a, a small river because uh, it never ran dry. And it had a bend in it. And I actually learned this from um, the hunting public guys on YouTube. And it had that bend in it. And I went, that's where I went. And I found that bed just right in the middle of it. That it was a perfect, it was a perfect home for that buck. He could escape from any direction. Um, and that's that's when I knew it might not be him, but there's probably a big one worth going after in here, and it ended up being him. Okay, before we before we get any further into this, I still got more questions on all that, but I I want to lay a little bit more groundwork on the habitat and stuff. Uh, you were saying uh-huh. that it's it's real mountainous, but what about like the plant makeup of the area? I mean, what is the actual habitat the deer are living in like? So basically. During the spring and summer, they're they're in the clear cuts. I mean, that's where that's where all the vegetation is. That's where all the green stuff is. That's where they're living. Uh, in the in the fall, in, in during deer season, they're it depends on what how big of a deer you. The big deer to me are in the thickest, nastiest stuff you could even possibly imagine. Um, that's where they're at. They're in the they're still in the clear cuts. But the thing about it is, there's not a lot for them to eat in the clear cuts. Uh, it's basically their home. Uh, you have to have three things to hold a big deer. You got to have food. You got to have water. You got to have sanctuary. If you don't have all three things, there's not going to be a big deer there. Um, and they're basically, I focus more on clear cuts year round. Uh, you can go to you can go to oak bottoms, oak flats, ridges, uh, mature plantations, all you want. But if you're hunting them naturally, it's hard to kill a big deer and where, where they're feeding. Um, you know, it's you got to get in their bedroom. And I know the people on the Outdoor Channel and the, the guys on YouTube, they don't, they always say stay out of their bedding area. Well, I'll run up in there. Okay. And it works. So is, there, is it like a lot of uh, clear cutting where you're at then? Or is there a lot of standing timber too? There, I would say it's probably 20% clear cut anywhere in that whole entire region in southeast Oklahoma. Uh, 20, maybe 25% uh, clear cut. 
Um, I would say 50% of it will be, you know, standing timber, pine timber. Um, and the rest would be, would be, you know, white oaks, red oaks, pen oaks, stuff like that. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, that 170 inch buck that you killed back in 2019, that deer, that was the first deer where it kind of hit the aha moment of like the bed aspect. Like, Hey, let's find where he's at, yeah. go in there and, and hunt him. Um, I want to kind of get back to that story and keep working through that story a little bit because it's, there's, there's some interesting pieces to it that I think are going to play out as we get farther in this conversation. But that first time you go in there, what was that? What was the date situation? And then how did you go, go from that, that contact? Hey, I saw the deer. He came in, then he left right before dark. How did you like kind of recalculate how you're going to come back in there and what bed to set up on based off what you're doing? So what happened, um, we went in there, a, a, a friend of mine on the list showed me how to get in there. And then about three days later, uh, my partner now, uh, we, he, he helped me carry, uh, some climbing sticks and my millennium in there. And, um, and then, you know, I, I, hunt, I hunted that evening, saw the deer and that's when I knew I could kill the deer right there, but I had to, I had to do it at the right time. I couldn't just go in there and, and kill the deer. So what had, what had happened, my uncle had passed away that night unexpectedly. And so I had to come back home for five or six days. We, we got through the funeral and everything. And I went back and I looked at the trail camera. Now this buck, he was on it all day long all through the night, all through the day, in the middle of the day, early mornings, right before, just all hours of the day. Actually, I'd say 80% daytime and 20% nighttime. So in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I don't need to go in there right at the crack of dawn. Um, I need to get in there maybe at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because in my mind, it makes sense that this deer, he's staying in here all day long. He's got this little one-acre one acre circle. And he's not leaving it. But at nighttime, when the sun goes down, he's he's venturing out. He's he's looking for food. At this point, it's postseason. He's not really looking for does. Um, not that I, I don't even think he ever looked for does. I think the does went to him. And um, so what I did, I went in there, you know, that November, uh, that December day, and I went in there about two o'clock in the morning, well before. It was, it was three and a half, four hours before, before, you know, daybreak. And I sat there and, you know, he was the only one that showed up, uh, naturally a big deer. They don't like to be around other deer. Uh, they like to, they like to be alone. And, um, he showed up at eight twenty seven, and I, I put an arrow in him. Um, but I knew it, I, what I, one thing that I did know was I had to be in there at two o'clock in the morning, uh, in the middle of the night. Because I knew if I went in there, you know, thirty minutes before sun up, I was gonna blow. I was gonna blow everything. And that, now I want to kind of get to how you took that experience and kind of started focusing on that style of hunting for the following year, which would be the twenty twenty season. So you have that success, killed that buck in his bedroom right there. You you found it through scouting, put it, you know, put eyes on, put a trail camera in there, uh, you know, had it on camera, went in there, killed the deer. Now twenty twenty season. How does that change, or how does that experience of you killing that buck in his bedroom change your hunting perspective for the following season, which was 2020? So what we did in 2020, we actually moved to the other side of the 40,000-acre lease, and we started over there with a clean slate, 
knew nothing about no deer over there on that side. We'd never been over there. And I, I shot a big buck. This is the only buck that I ever killed early season. Big buck. Um, it was October 1st, open a day. And the day before, me and my partner, we found this ridge about halfway up a mountain. Up, uh, I guess a, a bench is what it was. And there was a bed there. And we're like, okay, well, we ain't got nothing on the camera. Well, I'll just hang a stand. And I actually had his son in the tree with me. And it was actually supposed to be his deer. Um, and I, I wish he would have shot the deer, but just the way the situation was that morning, um, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't shoot the deer because it was, the buck was bedded up. He had a big tree in between him and the deer. And we watched that deer. We looked at him bedding for two hours. And finally, he was just like, man, just shoot the deer. I can't take it anymore. And, um, yeah, that buck, he he came out of a a big draw, that a big, big draw. I'd say 400 acres maybe. And he had been feeding down there with a, you know, with his bachelor group all night long. And he came back up about 8 o'clock that morning, and he got back in that bed. And there was another buck he was with, a smaller buck, that was bedded at the base of our tree. And I kind of had, you know, you can only imagine a 13-year-old looking at a 145-inch eight-point, you know, 10 yards from him for two hours. I couldn't, there's no way. I mean, I'm proud of, I'm proud of him for not blowing that whole, whole situation. And um, finally, he couldn't, he's just like, man, shoot the deer. I can't, I can't do nothing about it. Uh, because one thing I did know is that if, if we was to blow him out early season like that, he, would, he probably would have never been back. And Andrew, how, how similar is that compared to like the setup of those beds that we found a couple weeks ago? And kind of bedding, they're feeding down low, coming back up. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm real curious. I want to talk about that. We're going to get even more into these topics here. By the way, guys, you know, we're 20 plus minutes into the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a buddy and also make sure you subscribe to the podcast. But, uh, Colton, when we're talking about this in that specific situation where y'all found that bed, uh, how many days again before season did y'all find the bed? And then did you, how was the stand located? Were you above the bed, you know, side hill to the bed, just below the bed? What was that like? We found that bed the day before I killed the deer. Um, it was the last day of September, open a season, open a day of season the next morning. And um, we went in there that night. It was like, it, it was probably midnight. We went in there and hung the stand. And we didn't even know, we didn't know the deer existed. Um, we just knew it was a bed that had been, it, he had been using whatever deer it was had been using this bed all summer long because it was wore out. And, um, we knew it was his primary bed. We knew that was the bed that he wanted to be in. We just didn't know how big the deer was. Um, it, it could have been an 80 inch, you know, a point and, you know, obviously we'd have got out of there, but, um, yeah. And he, we got lucky. I mean, luck's always going to play a factor in deer hunting, but, he came out that the next morning and, you know, laid right down in that bed um, like he was supposed to. And the wind was just perfect. I had my stand on the uphill side of the bench. So we were higher. We were only, you know, 13, 14 foot up in the tree. But from the deer's point of view, we were probably 25 foot over his head because uh, it was just straight up. And I think that deer, he wanted he wanted a bed right there because it was a great ex escape. It was real thick above him. 
he could hear anything that came from above him and he could get down that hill and across the creek at the bottom just like that in a in just a few seconds um with nothing in the way and i think that's why that buck was bedded up there all summer because you got to think i mean that buck he was just now coming out of velvet um they don't want to they don't want they're protecting their antler growth um and i think that's why he was still bedding there because he could run full speed and not worry about breaking his antler off uh while he was in velvet well so i noticed that in the a couple of these stories now you've mentioned eight o'clock in the morning uh as being a time when you have these bucks coming into their beds and, and you're you're seeing them in those areas at that time is there something significant about that specific time in the morning like is that very common in that area yeah um most of my bucks have been killed at eight o'clock in the morning somewhere somewhere you know 30 minutes on either side of it um it's always morning hunts that gets it done very rarely will i kill kill one in the evening i've shot one big big deer in the evening time with a bow up there um but I don't know if there's something to it or if I'm just, if it's just a coincidence, something about eight o'clock, that's when it, that's when it happens. And the moon, I don't, you know, a lot of people talk about the moon. I don't think when you get in a, in a buck's back door like that, I don't think the moon has anything to do with it. Not the phase of the moon. Um, I think high moon and the moon underneath your foot has a lot to do with it, but the phase of the moon, I don't think has anything to do with when the bucks actually get up and go feed or when they want to go to bed. Um, that's just my theory on it. I could be wrong, but you know, it's, it's been working for years. The next thing I want to kind of get to, so you had that success early season, uh, which I didn't realize about, I know you told me that you had success early season, but I didn't realize it was on a bed like that. Well, it was, I think that was more luck than anything. Cause that's the only time I've been able to find, an early season bed now i don't and we talked the other day i don't i don't do i don't scout in the spring and summer i'm not up there looking for deer all spring and summer it's it's a waste of time to me um i have i've tried it and what i've come to find out it ain't nothing but a waste of time um because the deer they shed the velvet and and they leave and when they leave they it ain't like they go six seven hundred yards they go five miles to their to their new home for the uh for the fall and winter season yeah and you and me talked about that and that's something that i thought was kind of interesting you know you're not doing spring scouting you're not doing summer scouting you're doing a ton of in-season scouting which we're going to get to in just a little bit on the scouting aspect but before we get to that because that plays a huge factor in like what you've been able to do kind of replicating some of the success um but it, the, the similarity i'm seeing here which is kind of interesting but it's kind of the flip side as we get more in this conversation and hearing more about the post rut success that you've had is a similarity between your style of hunting and the Jolly brothers, Adam and Heath Jolly, who we've had on for a podcast back this summer, um, who again have had a lot of success early season hunting beds uh, and hunting bucks in beds, uh, you know, in the month of like September and going into October, uh, which is something that's kind of interesting as well. But you're kind of doing it on the flip side, as we'll hear more about in this conversation. Those are episodes 378 and 380 with the Jolly Brothers. Awesome. And, and kind of getting more into this uh, on this conversation of kind of like how the beds and everything has shifted. So I want to kind of work to the to the next year because I want to start getting to the point when we start seeing or, you know, we start getting to the point of like, uh, you know, there's a pattern here with this, you know, this bed hunting. So you kill that buck early season in 2020. 
what was what kind of happened a little bit later on that year um and, and how did that kind of play out so that's that's the year that i transitioned from hunting private land to public land and i did it you know right there around mid around mid-november and that's when we kind of abandoned everything 2020 was a messed up year for me um because of that you know i, I basically abandoned the lease and I went to public and I'm starting over, you know, halfway through the season. And the way that I hunt these deer, you, you really need a whole entire season to figure these deer out. Um, you know, so I, I, that was the only buck that I killed that season. Usually I kill two of them, which is what you're allowed in Oklahoma with a bow. Um, and then I went over to public and I got on a few deer. And by the time that I had them figured out where I felt like I could kill them, season was over um or they dropped the antlers something about oklahoma or southeast oklahoma man them big bucks about december 20th you better start stressing because they're fixing to drop them antlers houndstooth game calls is your home for turkey calls this spring go check them out they got all the classic turkey calls you know they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls but they also got a couple really interesting calls one of them is called the the success call and you just need to go look it up it's very it's like a box call that you can work with one hand it's really really cool sounds incredible they also got the spur master which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique clean tones out of they're going to help you out this turkey season use the promo code sop24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. So now I want to kind of I want to transition before we dive even more so on like the 2021 season and everything else uh, is the scouting aspect for these beds, okay? You, you just mentioned the idea of, you know, you really need a lot of time out there uh, in order to kind of figure out what these deer are doing, but you don't like to scout during the spring or the summertime. So let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple things here, because this is where I'm going to get really excited because you're talking about like the success rate of when you do hunt, like how you capitalize in a very short period of time versus how much time you actually spend scouting. So maybe right now, can, can you talk about if you were to break about at a, a hundred points or a hundred percentage points, how much time are you scouting like specifically in season versus how much time are you actually spending in the stand or, or actually hunting deer? I scout 90 to 95% of the deer season. I will not, I don't even get my bow out of the case unless it's the target practice. Um, and I hunt maybe 5%. On a good year, it'd be 8, 8%. And with that 5 to 8% of actual spent time hunting, uh, that's where you've learned to you know, get the right conditions, the right situation, and you're very, very effective in that short window of time of just you know, a certain amount of days that you're hunting and you're actually killing those deer. Yeah. Um, so we, what I've learned is when I do that, I don't ever go hunt a deer unless I know I'm going to kill them. Uh, because what hunters do is they end up burning the stand out. Well, a deer, a deer is not like a human. They don't have a job to go to. They don't have kids to raise. They don't have a wife at home. Uh, they don't have bills to pay every month. All they wake up every morning. The only thing on their agenda is what can I do to survive another day? And, you know, it's not that they're that smart of an animal. They're just scared to death. Well, it's hard to kill something that's scared to death. And so what I do know is if you burn a spot out, that deer is going to figure you out. You better believe it 100%. 
you will not kill that deer. If you hunt, you know, if there's a hundred days in deer season and you hunt 60 of those days, I'd be willing to bet you're not going to kill anything. Not, not a big mature buck. Uh, you could put meat in the freezer, but you're not going to kill these big deer. Cause I'm telling you, they're scared to death and they know what you smell like. And that's kind of where we get to the aspect of how you've had certain, have a success in the post uh, rut time. For, I keep want to say post season, but it's not post season, it's post rut. Uh, Cause still in the season is late in the season. Um, let's talk. I want to talk a little bit more about this. Cause I really want to get into the scouting aspect. Cause this is where it gets to me really, really kind of interesting is uh, you know, how you're locating a bunch of different bucks. It's not like you're having five or six. You're trying to find, I don't know. I forgot the number you told me, but it's, you know, eight, 10, 12 bucks over 150 inches yeah, that you're trying to you, target. Yeah. You got a plan. I told you the other day, we, you know, everybody has plan B. Well, I, I like to have plan Z. Um, Cause it's something that, cause keep in mind, I have to, I have to remember I'm on public land. Anything could happen. You know, a, a deer could be poached. Um, he could die of natural causes. A, another buck could kill him or another hunter could kill him. Anything could happen. Um, so what I don't want to do is get into December and find out that my buck's been killed. I need to have 10, 15 bucks on the back burner that I can hunt. So, uh, there, there's there's so much here because also i want to get to that i want to get to the, the real big deer that you're trying to kill uh but i guess we'll get to him in a second listen y'all want to hear that absolutely i've seen photos of him from 2020 absolute giant typical deer that's still out there rocking around so your scouting regimen um when you get into season so you don't like to to scout in the summer or anything so season starts and you're hitting the woods and from that point on you're trying to locate you know around 15 or so deer that you're willing to kill what does that scouting regiment look like i mean are you just like running and gunning throwing cameras out running and gunning on the side by side um that's literally what it is so basically i have about 75 cameras and basically if i see deer sign whether it's a trail i don't really focus much on rubs i think that's you're going to waste more time on a rub than than anything if i see a trail and, you know, it helps me because I know I learned the area. I know where the trails are going to be when fall and winter get here. Uh, so I know where the deer are going to be just from my experience from years before. Um, if I see any kind of sign, whether it be a trail, an early season scrape, or whatever, um, something that I do, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, um, after it rains, I'm real big on scouting after it rains. That's where I will give up a day of hunting for a day, day of scouting after, after a big rain because I can run them roads for miles and miles and miles as fast as I can drive. And I look for tracks where they're crossing the roads. And because um, every, every deer up there, I don't care. I don't care what anybody on the Internet says, what anybody on YouTube says. Every deer up there is crossing roads. Um, all these big deer, you know, they can kill. They could be killed right there beside the road. Um, so, you know, I look for a fresh track. If it's a big track, you know, I hope it's a big deer, you know, and maybe 10% of the time I'll get lucky and I'll get, I'll get that picture of that deer uh, a few days later uh, right there. So, and what I do is I, I get a picture of a big deer. Um, I'll take 15 cameras, give or take, and I'll just surround them in that area. And, this is where I have a problem with the rut. I can't stand the rut. I've never enjoyed it. Um, 
the big deer, they might not be there. They might just be passing through. And I don't like chasing one big deer all season long. I like to find them in their home where I know they're going to be every single day. So what I'll do is, you know, November through November 15th and that magic time of the year, I'll get a picture of one buck and most, most of the times I'll end up just forgetting about them because I just can't, there's not enough time in the season to, to put forth the effort to, to try to relocate them. Cause I'm just going to waste my time. So it sounds like you, I, by the way, I like to do the same exact thing, man. When we get like a, a big thunderstorm or something comes through, I like to go drive roads and, and look for tracks. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're going to go drive the road, find a big track throw a camera up right by the road on whatever trail he's using. And then if you get him on that camera, then you're going to fan out and you're going to really pepper the area with a bunch of trail cameras. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to scatter cameras everywhere in there. Um, I'll, I'll put, I'll move 15 cameras into that area within a, I'd say a 500 yard radius and just try to try to pattern this deer because that's, that's where it starts. Uh, you, you have to pattern or you're not going to kill him. So what does that look like? What are you throwing your cameras up on? Are you looking for scrapes or trails or creek crossings? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, for scrapes. That's if it's November, I'm looking for scrapes. Um, the very first picture you ever get of a deer is the most important picture you will ever have of them. Uh, what direction he's coming, what temperature it was that day, what time it was that day, where was the moon at, uh, when you got a picture? Cause oftentimes you know, you get a picture of a deer at one o'clock in the morning, um, and you can't you can't find that deer within three, four, five hundred yards away. You can't get a second picture of them. There's about a ninety percent chance that deer was just moving through. Like you're, you can give it up. Um, you need to go a mile away, um, especially in November, because he's cruising. He he ain't. That's not where he's at. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I do. I love scrapes. Scrapes tell me a lot of information. Um, especially what time they're coming in. Um, and then around scrapes, you gotta, you can't forget about the trails around scrapes that the does are using. Um, because a lot of times a buck, you know, that just because they're in that area, they're not going to come check that scrape every 15 minutes. You know, they might check it every two or three days, but he might be walking by, you know, 25, 30 yards by it every day, just going on about his day. Um, and if you can consistently get pictures of them day in, day out, well, you're pretty close. Well, eventually you got 15 cameras scattered out and you got them at 11.07 PM over here. And I got them at 2.46 AM over here, but he was back up here at 6 AM. And then I got a picture of them over here at, you know, 9.20 PM. Well, I could print out a map and I could put thumbtacks down. I could connect the dots with you know, rubber bands, I can kind of get an idea of where he's coming from and where he's returning to. Uh, and that will give me the direction that he's probably bedding. Okay. And I keep on moving to, till I get to his bed. Uh, and just kind of like a real generic question, but on average, when you're going and, and you, you've got one on camera and you're throwing give or take some, probably about 15 cameras out trying to locate him. How large of an area are you covering basically around that spot where you get, got him on camera? I would say about about 500 yards. Now, that 500 yards turns into 100 yards the closer I get to him. And then 
that hundred yards turns into one or two cameras. Cause you know, by, by now I hope I've picked up these cameras and moved them to another buck that I'm also trying to figure out for, you know, two years from now. Um, because what I've noticed in big deer up there, once they reach a certain age, you know, five and a half, six and a half years old, they're probably going to be there till, till the day you kill them. Um, it, it's harder than you think to run a big mature buck out of a bed. It's, it's harder for a human to do it than another deer could. Now, this kind of gets to the point when you're, we're talking about the beds now and the scouting aspect. This is something I'm kind of interested in. You, you mentioned earlier, especially, specifically when you're on your lease, but you said that even on the public in that general area of, you know, southeastern um, Oklahoma, you know, it's roughly 25% of the land probably is cut in, in you know, timber managed land, you know, clear cuts and regrowth. And you mentioned like a lot of those big bucks are going in the thickest, nastiest hell holes. Well, when you're scouting, you're kind of backtracking these deer with these trail because your end goal is to try to find where is that, you know, one, two acre spot that he spent the most amount of time and how do I get somewhere in there and kill him? What does that consist of? Like normally, like if you had to look at a lot of these deer that you've kind of backtracked to their beds, is there any pattern with what kind of habitat they're bedding in? And what does that kind of look like? Um, it's just like you said, it's, it's the hell holes. It's the stuff. I mean, some of these animals that I get pictures of, they have racks so big, you have to you have to ask yourself, how is it possible for this de- for this deer to navigate to this stuff? And you know, if a man can figure that out, he'll probably kill these deer, you know, year in year out. Um, but there's certain deer like you know bamboo. That's that buck's name, by the way, is is bamboo. Um, bamboo. He's in a spot, man, and he's got me pinned. He's a smart deer. Um, he, he's in a spot that I can't get to, um, without just jacking everything up. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and I think I got to figure it out. Um, last year was a tough year. I mean, I had a great year, but it was a tough year for most people because we didn't have any acorns. You know, those years you don't have acorns and you hunt the way I do. It really just, it's really a, it's a bummer. Um, Cause it's, you know, it jacks all these deer up and you kind of got to start with a clean slate and refine it. Cause you know, they might relocate maybe only six, 700 yards away, but that six, 700 yards might take you all season to, to figure out. But when you get a big deer, all these big deer, they all came out of that nasty stuff when I killed them. And some of them were in the nasty stuff. I just happened to figure out a way to get in there to kill them. And I'm shooting them off the ground a lot of times, uh, cause there's no trees in there to, you know to sit in yeah can you uh man i want to talk about bamboo um and and kind of that deer but i do want to talk about you were telling me one of the stories one of the big deer i think it was last year and you said it was like a bad year but you still tagged out with two freaking giants uh but more bad year for most people when it comes to the the acorns but you killed one of the bucks last year i can't remember which one it was off the ground like right at you know first light um and that was in or right next to close to the bed, the general area of his bed, um, and him coming back to it. Which it's it kind of brings up the the question of when you keep backtracking because I'm trying like the where you're hunting kind of is similar to where we're at now. It's not as mountain. I mean, where you're at definitely sounds more mountainous, but a lot of cutovers, clear cuts. Those deer are bedding. Those big bucks are definitely in that stuff, like without a doubt. Um, and it's like try to get close enough to those beds to potentially have an opportunity. What have you seen that some of those factors that allows you to be able to get just close enough to be able to kill them, especially when they come back in the mornings? Like, is there been any factors you've seen? Just being aggressive. Uh, I really don't know how 
I mean, the fact, so the big bucks, I, you know, the, the creature's a habit. Um, what I've learned is, is the five and a half plus the, the mature bucks, whether they got a big rack or not, they're always in the same spots year in, year out. And they're in the ugliest, nasty stuff you would imagine. They're not appealing to the eye of the, of the hunter. They're not pretty at all. You know, a hunter, they, they look at a spot, maybe a, you know, a, a draw that's got a creek running through it. It's just got these hundred year oak trees. It just looks beautiful. Well, you're probably not going to kill a big deer there. You could, you could get pictures of him there at two o'clock in the morning when he's eating acorns, but unless he's just on a hot dough, good luck killing him there. If you figure it out, let me know. Cause, uh, I'd rather hunt that stuff than this crap that I'm in. Um, but yeah, double wide, the buck that I killed last year off the ground, I actually didn't think I was going to kill that deer where, where I did. I was going to kill him the next day though. Um, so that was a buck. He had two, he had two homes about a mile from each other. And when the pressure got heavy, he disappeared to this, to his other, to where, to where I killed him, which is not where I wanted to hunt him. Uh, it was really hard to hunt. And I actually, we got pictures of him the year before up there. But I was, you know, of course, I was, I was hell-bent bound on killing bamboo. I did not care about double-eyed one bit. He was actually a lot bigger the year before than, you know, last year, the year I killed him. Um, but Jared, he put a camera out, you know, during the Oklahoma rifle season. And it's just like a lot of the Midwest states when rifle season's there. Man, there is. The Orange Army comes out. It just looks like a pumpkin patch everywhere you go. Just hunters everywhere. So we kind of forget about it let the rifle hunters have it um well he put a camera on a trail out up there and he got a picture of double wide and it was right there it was a nighttime picture but it was right after dark so i knew that he was he was pretty close now there was a clear cut nasty clear cut right on the other side of the road and it had a few good trees that i could have possibly got in so the what i had to do is i had to figure out a deer i had to figure out how to how am i going to get in there without completely blowing them out because what i do know about this deer is he has another home that he goes to now fortunate for me i knew where it was that's where i had been hunting them all season but he went over there when the pressure got hot during black powder rifle season because he he was safer over there and that deer knew that and um so he got this picture of this buck just one single picture of him uh just walking the edge of a ridge on a i mean it looked like a rabbit rabbit trail it was just wasn't a trail at all um but it was enough to tell that there was there was deer using it every now and then well he got a picture of him well i went in built the brush blind my plan was the morning that i killed him was when it got good in daylight you know 10 11 o'clock i was gonna just sneak over across the road where i knew he was bedding and you know see see if i could find his bed for one and then see if it was huntable, uh, whether it be from a tree or from the ground. And while well, I went in right at, right at just, just a few minutes before the crack of dawn. And I pulled the card out of that camera and I sat down in this little brush blind that I built and I plugged the card into my phone and all the pictures are pulling up from the night before. And all of a sudden I hear footsteps, you know, it's still, it's still, I can see the light shining through the tree. Um, but it's still, it's still really dark. I can barely see. Well, I hear footsteps. 
um i knew there was a deer coming i'm like oh man so i hit the button on my phone so the light would turn off and um and i just i'm in freeze moment and i see the deer and i i knew that it was a super wide deer but the problem was we also had pictures of another buck i don't know if it's a brother to him or not it's actually a seven point looks a lot like him uh but he's only like 20 inches wide which you know that's a wide deer but you know double wide he was 25 inches wide um and then i I drew back and i'm looking at him and i can i can make out his body and um most people i probably shouldn't admit to this but most experts would say don't take that shot but i actually the year before had a bad situation uh, encounter with bamboo and to this day i have just regretted not taking that shot and um i ended up putting the pin where i i knew i was going to get a get a hit i was just hoping that it was the right deer and i released the arrow and um and i waited you know 30 45 minutes and it got good in daylight and i walked up and i saw that arrow stuck in the bottom of a pine tree just covered in white hair and i I immediately got sick because I was like, man, I hit this deer low. I'm going to have to call on the dogs. We're not going to find them. Every hunter just gets that gut turning feeling when they feel like they've had a bad shot. Well, I'm sitting there looking at my arrow and I'm sniffing it to see if it, you know, it smells like guts or anything. And I look up and I'm just hunting 20 yards from the road. And I look up and I see this wide rack sucker just laying right right in the ditch of the road and i'm like oh my god and immediately i just get that feeling uh i'm fired up and i run over there to him and you know i just smoked him i put it right through the heart and um that was that was a great feeling it was it was really a great feeling because i didn't have to drag him out of the dang mountains uh he was right there by the you know by the side of the road so and, and that kind of got got me back to where i wanted to get with uh this conversation was the bed aspect like that deer was bedded like right next to the road right yeah he was he was and i'm glad i killed him that morning because if i had gotten up with you know my plans was after i got done hunting with that morning hunt and like i said i had no intentions on killing that deer that morning i was just going to go ahead and get in the area that way i could you know follow through with my plans you know just be a step closer um if i had gotten up at 10 o'clock or whatever time it would have been and walked across the road i would have bumped him uh would he have been back probably he would have been in either that spot the next day or you know where i had him all season long a mile away um what i do what i do notice about these big bucks we're not the owner we're not the only pre, uh predator you know they got bobcats they got mountain lions they got you know bears they got coyotes they got poachers um all kinds of stuff so we're not yeah we're concerned to them but i i truly don't believe we're the biggest concern um because i'm here to tell you a bobcat or a pack of coyotes can hunt a hell of a lot better than a bow hunter can um but what i have noticed i have bumped these deer and i know i've bumped them because i saw them uh when i bumped them nine times out of ten they come right back um they like to return because they know that they can escape from that spot because they've done it year in year out time after time because i promise you just because there's a good chance if you bump a big buck there's a really good chance that he's been bumped many a times whether it be from coyotes or 
you know, bobcat, uh, mountain lion, whatever it might have been, or another hunter. Um, they keep coming back because that spot, wherever it may be, has allowed them to escape. You just have to figure out as a hunter, how can I get in there without him detecting me so I can get in there and kill him when he comes back in? Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Colton, I want to kind of get to uh, talking just a, a touch more about these beds here. Um, one thing I'm just really curious on is the aspect of when you're backtracking these deer back to their beds, at what point do you know you need to stop? Is it the point when you pretty much jump him out of the bed? Like you want to visually see him in that bed or in the area and put trail cam on it? Like what does that kind of look like as you're kind of working well, your way back to this thick cover? So when you find a, a mature bug bed, you know, at, in the middle of the day or whenever you're scouting and you find that bed and you can tell, because a, a big buck, he has more than one bed. Um, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. And the smaller bucks, they, I think they just bed wherever they can lay down. Um, but there's a good chance when you do find that one one bed and you know this is the bed that he wants to be in, there's a good chance that that, bed, that buck, he was in there just five minutes before you bumped him. You just didn't see him or hear him leave. Um, you know, a lot of people, they, they drive their side by side up and, you know, and I'm guilty of it as well. Um, they bumped these deer. They have no idea that they bumped them. Uh, there's only been one time that I actually bumped a deer and I, and I kind of got that sick feeling, but with experience, I've learned that they, they come back. They always do. Every one of them have, I have never completely bumped a deer where he just vanished off the face of the earth. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's ever happened to me. Um, knock on wood, it, it could happen tomorrow, but, you know, all these people saying, oh, you bump them, they're, they're gone forever. No, they're not. I have never, that's false. And I, I've proved that time after time. Um, but, at, you know, your question, what's the safe zone, I guess? What do I... You know, what have I done where it puts me in a position where I know I've kind of crossed the line? Man, I, I don't think there's a line to cross. I go up to the bed. Now, I don't necessarily walk walk around in the bed. You know, I'm not going to – I'm obviously not going to go pee or something next to the bed. I don't get stupid with it. But I walk up to the bed, and I want to – if I can visually see hair in that bed, and a lot of it, uh, and it's beat out, I know – I need to hang a camera on it and and back out for a couple of days. I'm not going to go in there every day and just check that camera. I do know not to do that um, because at, and now because the whole point is to kill the deer, not bump the deer. You know, for for a day or two, um, you got to kill the deer, and it takes discipline. When you find a big bed like that, you want to go back in there the very next morning and see if you have a picture of them. I do it every single year. I want to go back in there the next, the very next morning, and I don't do it. I've learned if I do that, that deer is going to learn more about me than I will ever learn about him. And uh, so I go in there, I put a camera on the bed, and, you know, I, we get pictures of these bucks laying down in the beds, and uh, we'll go in there three or four days. We'll try to go in there before a rain so we know it's going to wash our scent away. Um whenever we you know go in there and check our camera but whenever we do go in there we go in there prepared to hang a stand um so we'll go in there we'll hang the stand it, you know if if that's the buck that we're after and we back back out and we try to wait 
on the weather to change, you know, and bring a front to us to where it's going to wash away our scent. Uh, because I promise you, when that buck returns back, he's going to know that somebody's been snooping around in his bedroom. He he will know. Um, you know, will we'll, it bust him out? I don't know, because I do think that they can tell how old scent is. Because like I mentioned before, we're not the only predators. They can smell a coyote track, and I guarantee you they can tell that that coyote was probably here yesterday or three hours before, or he's here right now. If listeners want a little bit more on on this particular subject, yeah, a little blast from the past, episode 122 with Jeff Homan. Mm-hmm. It's actually called Backtracking a Buck to His Bedroom, I think. Uh, we covered that with him here in Alabama a couple of years ago, and and the similarities that between you and him are, are really pretty cool. And he's killed some really really big deer in Alabama doing that kind of thing. Um, you mentioned you know you he he might have multiple beds, but he might have that one bed that is like the one that's the one he wants to be in the most. That's where you're going to have your best chance. What visually about that, physically about that bed, would tell you? that that is the bed i mean obviously you're going to put a camera on it and see but what about the area or the bed itself that distinguishes it from the others and that's a great question so i I always tell people you have to figure out how to put a big mature buck into the same category as a human okay we we're, we're we're adult men um we have a house we have a bedroom in our house we have a recliner in our living room we have our kitchen. We're not always in our bed. You know, we're not always in our recliner. We're not always in our kitchen. But one thing for sure, we're always going to be at that house every day. Um, so what I do is, and it goes back to having the 15 cameras around. Um, you have to have your cameras to where you're getting pictures of them day in, day out, every single day. If it's If you go two or three days without getting a picture of this deer, then that's probably not where he really wants to be. He probably got pushed by a different predator or another hunter from the bed that he wants to be in, which might only be a hundred yards away or 50 yards away, um, you know, or 600 yards away. Um, but what I've learned is when I get pictures of these bucks every single day, even at nighttime, um, cause there's times where a buck, he will only, move i mean he moves during the day i don't care what anybody says but he might only move 20 yards during that day you have to figure out how to get in there um to kill him while he's moving that 20 yards um but yeah um i'll get pictures of these bucks and when i can get pictures of them every single day right there at prime time when he feels comfortable getting up out of his bed and actually leaving to go feed at night or chase does, whatever he wants to do, you know, four or five, 600 yards away um, and come back and he goes back to that same bed. That's kind of how I know. And as far as the bed go, you're going to smell it. You're going to see that bed and it's just going to look like kind of like your home. Your number one bed is your bed in your bedroom. It's the biggest bed. It has the most blankets. Uh, you can tell that that's where you sleep. Uh, most people don't sleep in their recliner or the couch every night, um, you know, 365 days a year. They want to sleep in their bed. And it's the same in the deer world. You look at that big bed and you can just tell, you get a sense of feeling in your gut. It's, it's just a gut feeling. Um, you can smell it. You can smell the deer pee around. Um, 
it's covered in white hair. Uh, it's it's beat down real bad, and you know when you see something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, is there any kind of consistency with where you find these beds in your area, as far as like habitat goes? I mean, are they always hole up in a cutover or any other kind of feature like that? Yeah, um, the big bucks. You know, like I said, I, I only hunt big deer. Um, yeah, nine times out of ten, I always, I always find their beds and them nasty clear cuts. And sometimes it's just impossible for a hunter to get in there to hunt. Um, I mean, I, like bamboo, he he was in a spot last year that I just I couldn't get in there. That's why I didn't kill him. Um, and it, but it's because we have no acorns. I think the food, um, a food food is always very important uh, to a deer, obviously. Um, years like bamboo, he, in 2020, we recovered an acorn, so he didn't have to bed that far away. All of a sudden last year, he had no reason to bed where he was the year before, um, because there was no acorns there. And when I say there was no acorns there, I'm talking two, 300 yards away from where he was bedding because very rarely will I actually find a bed where the bucks are actually feeding. I, I don't, to be honest with you, I, I don't, not, not a primary bed. I found beds, maybe they were doe beds or small buck beds, you know, in, in an oak flat or whatever. Um, but I don't, I've never found that I know of a big mature bed uh, that was in, you know, a feeding area. Not during deer season, not during the fall and summer pattern. I mean, a fall and a winter pattern. Okay. And then you mentioned earlier too, which this is really fascinating to me, that you're putting a camera right on the bed and you're you're wanting to see the deer in the bed on camera, which is really neat. I mean, that's just a, a cool thing to see. But also, I'm wondering, have you do you ever try to like correlate when he's at that bed with a certain wind direction or weather pattern, where you can say, oh, with a like a northwest wind, he'll be in this bed. You know, anything like that? Yeah, I, I try. I try not to do that as much, and the reason why is because. In southeast Oklahoma, it's a mountainous region. If you got a north wind, man, that wind ain't blowing north where you're sitting. It's it's constantly swirling, and it's like that all across the nation. In October, you got that swirling wind, and when you're hunting in the mountains, uh, just because you got a north wind, this man, it's then thermals pick it up, and it it gets it goes every direction. Um, I'm a believer in ozonics. Um, I don't. I don't, um, I don't fall for all the gimmicks and stuff they sell at Academy and Walmart and stuff. I think, I think a lot of that is, you know, just a waste of money. Um, sent away, I don't, I don't do the whole, I don't mean to call out one particular company, but all that spray on stuff, I don't necessarily believe in it. Does it work? I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but you know, I don't use it. What I think is we let's go in here at two o'clock in the morning i think that's i think that's more important getting in there when you know he's not in there so you can kill him when he does come in there uh because bucks what i've noticed with big mature deer they kind of have tunnel vision it's a lot easier to kill them than you think if you can figure out you know where the bedroom is uh um they have tunnel vision i mean they they wake up when they decide to go somewhere they're going and there's nothing stopping them. Um, when they come into that bed, 
there's a pretty good chance that they've already checked it out. So, Colton, I, I want to get to uh, – I got a couple other questions here. I want to talk about bamboo, which is his potential – typical state record that you're hunting that's an absolute giant i mean he was a giant 2020 uh i can't believe how big he's going to be this year or how big he is this year um but before we just get to that deer specifically um have you seen anything in regards to where you're at with there's probably a lot of topography change a lot of elevation change has there been any pattern with these big bucks in around certain elevation or in and around certain terrain features Mm. nothing no there to me no Uh, a lot of people probably disagree with me but the fact of the matter is i fortunately fortunately for for me i'm actually able to take all deer season off and that's what i do i every single day all season long until i'm done i'm up there seven days a week and i run 75 cameras and i just haven't i haven't the topography difference that other people you know i mean a lot of people are like oh they like to bed up high and but they like to feed down low or they like to be halfway up the mountain. And yeah, I just, I got pictures of big giant deer bedding at the bottom. I got pictures of big giant deer bedded at the top. I don't, I really don't, I don't see it. That's pretty interesting. I think it's all about where he's safe and where he's not safe. A buck elevation, big deer don't care about what elevation they're living in. There's going to be oxygen wherever they go. Uh, they're more concerned about how can I stay alive today and wherever they're at, if it's keeping them alive, they're going to be there the next day. Mm, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's, 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 that's super interesting. Also, um, I feel like we we're, we're missing out on a, on a few things here. Um, can we talk about how does this translate over, you know, you mentioned earlier in this podcast that, you know, you you're scouting, you know, 90 to you know 92 to probably 95 percent of the season every day you're out there running cameras checking on new places and you're only hunting five to eight percent of the season and but you're successful in that five to eight percent because you're waiting for perfect conditions perfect situation for the right deer and you're going in with the comments like hey i'm going in i am killing this deer it's not if it's it's i'm going in to kill him it's i'm going to kill if i sit in the stand and i don't kill that deer I do. I, I have a bad feeling at the end of the day because I feel like I've I've wasted the whole season on that deer. Because uh, you're going to kill these big deer the first sit or two. It, that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, if I don't kill that deer the first time I go in, I'm upset. You know, I I go back to the drawing board. I I start everything over. What what have I done wrong? Because um, I I've just blown this spot. I can't go back in there for another seven or eight days because he knows I've been in there all day. Um, he might have winded me when he was coming back to the bed. One thing for sure, he was coming back to that bed. He might have got 50 yards from me. I just didn't see him. Um, but, yeah, if I don't if I don't kill that deer the first sit, oh, I'm bummed out. That's why you got to have 10, 12, 15 different bucks to go after. Um because if you don't kill them the way I do, if you don't kill them the first sit, it probably ain't going to happen. And that's a couple of things I'm curious with you hunting so close to these bucks in and around their beds. Um, have you noticed anything, especially based off trail cameras? Are, are they ever what some people would call jay hooking? Do you ever see them either visually on camera or on hunts? Are they coming on a deadline or are they coming in with some kind of wind advantage? How do you see that happen? So the jay hooking deal, I think, so the jay hooking. A lot of that's a big thing in the Midwest. Uh, when you get into flatland country, when you have consistent winds, uh, you know, if you got a north wind 
and you're in the middle of Kansas and it's flat for 800 miles, um, you know, that wind is going to be blowing out of the north. Uh, the J hooking deal, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. When bucks decide they're going somewhere, they got tunnel vision, especially up there in southeast Oklahoma. They're going. And if they get interrupted on the way, then they get interrupted on the way and they go back to wherever they come from. Um, the J hooking deal, I have set cameras around scrapes. And I, I'm a believer in, in J hooking. I really am. But I don't, I don't see it as much up there, up there in them mountains, um, because I don't, I don't get pictures that the puzzles not, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense, because what I do is I take, I'll take a one day, and I'll draw it on the map of where this deer was, you know, 15 minutes before he came to the scrape, or 20 minutes, and it's, it's consistent. He's coming from his bed. Um, he comes right in. Uh, and it's hard to say with the wind. I mean, yeah, I can look at the weather channel and know that the wind was coming out of the north or we had a south wind that day, but where what the wind was doing right there at that camera, I ain't got a clue. It was probably it's probably swirling all over the place because you're in the mountains. Now, and this, see, now I'm glad you brought that up because this is where I wanted to get at, which is if you're hunting so close to the bed, sometimes you're hunting on the ground because they're in this thick cover and you have to make an opportunity there. Uh, sometimes you're in a tree stand, all that. What kind of conditions are the right conditions? If you have a deer on pattern where you're having consistently use the same bed, you know, multiple days in a row, what kind of pattern, weather pattern are you looking for in order to set up that you're going to catch him coming back to bed in the morning, but also not get shot in the foot with terrible swirling winds? Um, all conditions. I've killed deer. I've killed big deer when it was 85 degrees. I've killed big deer right before a front blew in when that when the pressure changed and you know then the front hit and, and then it got cold afterwards um yeah i don't when, when a buck is in his home where he feels safe in he's gonna be there no matter what the what the what the pressure is what the wind's doing what the temperature is um i don't really pay attention much to the weather when when i get that deer where i want him he, he's gonna be there it doesn't matter what the temperature is now something might happen where you know the pressure change and you got a buck that's you know five and a half years old he you might think he's a dominant buck in the area but he's really not uh there's really a seven and a half running around that might only be a 130 inch deer but he's still the dominant buck um something might happen where the the pressure might change or front might come in and it gets them excited and they go they go chase does for a couple of days um I don't, but I don't, the big mature bucks, I just, you know, I follow these deer, the deer that I kill, I'm really not killing them until three years from now. I feel like when I kill them, I know everything about them. Um, but I don't, there's nothing that tells me when to go in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's just more about kind of like what you're getting, uh, camera wise. And as long as you're having a consistent pattern, yeah. you're going in. that those cameras those cameras do the hunting for me i don't do the hunting i just gotta i just gotta find the deer and figure out when i can go in there to pull the, to be the guy that pulls the trigger uh those cameras you have got to let them cameras do the hunting for you uh without it you're not gonna kill these you know these 150 175 inch deer and another thing with that success that you're having late season um and 
I'm about to segue this over to, to Bamboo. Uh, with that succe- the success you're having late season, is that something that you're seeing that those home ranges, like they're really kind of shrinking? He's really kind of sucking tight to that one mm-hmm. specific spot, and it makes it that much yeah. more consistent for you? Yeah, that and the fact that you've got all season, and in my case, most of the time, the seasons before, because uh, they're creatures of habit. They're always going to repeat themselves. Um, if they were safe yesterday, they're probably going to do you know, what they did yesterday, they're probably going to do it again today. Um, and it, it's the same with the years. If they were safe last year, they're probably going to do the same thing this year. Um, and late season, I don't know if it's that I'm such a great late season hunter or or if it's the fact that it just takes me all season long to finally get it narrowed down to where I can kill them. Uh, it just, it always happens in late season. Um, they've had a tremendous amount of pressure put on them from muzzleloader season to black powder season, um, and youth weekend, uh, where everybody's just up there, just shooting anything that moves and late season, you know, rifle season ends the first week of December and then it gets easy where most people think it's hard. Um, but what I've learned is it's easier to kill them in late season, the way that I hunt them. I don't hunt them over food. I don't, I don't try to get them on a hot dough. I can't stand the rut because sometimes my bucks just up and disappear during the rut. Um, and when they do, by the way, when they do up and disappear, that tells me that they're probably not the most dominant buck in that area. Uh, there's one out there that I hadn't found. That's, you know, probably within a thousand yards. Now, I want to get to the point here as we get to uh, almost a point of wrapping up. I want you to talk about bamboo a little bit. This is something that's super interesting. You've been following this deer, I think, for a while. You mentioned them very early on in the podcast that you had photos of them three, four years ago. Uh, you know, potential state record, absolute giant. You've showed me some photos from 2020, absolute giant, typical. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what's the, what's the journey look like with for him and, uh, you know, is this going to be the year? I, this, I think this is going to be the year. Um, I mean, we, we're looking like we're going to have a strong acorn crop. If this is not the year, I'm going to quit deer hunting because I'm tired of chasing that freaking deer. Um, I mean, that deer, I have thrown up physically. Actually, he has made me sick so many times. I've had that deer in bow range in front of me. I've been, I've been at full draw on the deer three times. I just can't, I just can't connect with him uh something has always happened i've never I, he's never busted me that i know of um he's just man that's one lucky sucker uh that deer he's got nine lives um so bamboo was the first picture that i got of a big deer on public land the picture that i got he really didn't look all that big it was a terrible picture only half of his rack was in the picture it was the back he was broadside and it was on a trail and he was walking and I got, I got like the G2 and the G3 and then the rest, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell how tall he was. It wasn't, it was just a terrible picture. So I'm like, Oh, okay. That, that, that might be a decent bug. I had no idea how big it was. So I moved a couple cameras around in there and I started getting pictures of this buck on some scrapes and stuff. I always like two o'clock in the morning, but I was getting pictures of them consistently and man, I started getting these pictures and I'm like, oh my God, this is a, of course, mind you, this is three years ago now. I mean, he's 180 inch typical 10 point, just perfect rack. Uh, he looks like the Milo Hanson buck. Um, he looks a lot like that deer, uh, just 
just perfect. Just every, I mean, if his G2's, you know, 14 inches on his left side, it's 14 on the other side. Uh, he's probably 22, 23 inches wide. So he's got what it, he had what it take, what it took, you know, three years ago to be a 180 inch deer. And that's probably what he was. Um, there were, there was a morning I could have killed him and I should have killed him, but I blew out a tire. I actually, I hit a deer. I was driving, I was driving, you know, to the stand and there was, I come over the hill and those two bucks locked up in the middle, in the middle of the road. And I lay on the horn they broke apart and one of them hit my trailer and blew out a tire. I had pictures of bamboo at eight o'clock that morning and I, I threw up all over the place. I was, it made me physically sick. And I mean, I, I just wanted to go headbutt the nearest tree I found. And, um, and yeah, I had them one and I mentioned earlier in the, in the episode, um, there was a, when I shot double wide last season, um, I was in a position one year with, with bamboo where I didn't take the shot and I, I've regretted it ever since. And he came in one morning, he crossed underneath me and just right at the base of my tree. And it was, it was the, the light was shining through the tree. It was legal shooting time, but I wasn't, I was in the thicket, you know, the light, it lights not, you know, as bright as, as it is out in the hay meadow. Well, he crossed underneath me just right at the base of my tree and I drew back and I could not see my pins and I let down because in my mind, I knew I was going to kill this deer any day. It, it wasn't a matter of if, it was when, and it never happened. It, it just never happened. And I believe that deer had me figured out more than I had him figured out. As much as I know about him to this day, he had me figured out and, you know, and that just goes to show you an animal that's scared to death because what i can't tell you is the few times i did have him you know he did some pretty stupid stuff just you know i mean he, he one time he looked right at me and just you know kept on going like i wasn't i wasn't a threat at all and uh and but i couldn't get him to stop and uh you know i let him go i and i, I shouldn't have done that but um yeah, I mean, I could have killed that deer three years ago, but something told me that I was going to mess up and hit a leg or whatever, and and I let down, and yeah, I never killed him. And then last year, where he was, so he was like 100, he was pushing 200 inches last year. Uh, he wasn't quite there, but he was almost there as a six-and-a-half-year-old. And But where he was, we had no acres last year, so I – he moved his bed like three or 400 yards up the mountain, but I couldn't get in there. There was no way, no how was I able to get in there. So I ended up just kind of forgetting about him. I knew he was safe and, um, you know, and he's still out there unless, you know, he died over the summer for whatever reason. Um, so I just kind of forgot about him. I'm like, you know what, this, this is probably going to be the state record. Uh, it'll be my first 200 inch buck. If I, you know, hopefully I'm fortunate enough to, to kill him and he'll, he'll probably be i'm thinking 210 this year 215 maybe um and he don't have a lot of deductions he'll be unless something happens you know i don't I obviously don't know what he looks like right now because i don't do the whole scouting and uh summer and spring but yeah i mean he's 
I think he's going to net over 200 inches. Yeah, that's that's going to be ridiculous. So, again, hope, man, I hope you get him. That's going to be awesome. I, you said early on the podcast, actually early before we started recording, you know, you kill him, we're going to have you back on, especially if you kill him late season. And, uh, and, and yeah, talk a little bit and about we're going to show everybody the deer. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because we're up, people message us, show like, no, nah, we'll, we'll post after the fact. Uh, but no, he's monstrous. I mean, you showed me the photos of 2020, and he was an absolute giant. Um, people think he's Photoshopped. Mm-hmm. I have thousands of pictures of this deer, by the way. I, I, I bet I have 10,000 pictures of this deer. I, I know everything about him, but the problem is, the problem is, he knows everything about me. And, you know, that's why I didn't kill him. Um, had my chances but i blew them and i'm hoping everything happened you know i'm hoping everything happens for a reason and i'm hoping you know it just wasn't you know that that deer deserves to be recognized as a state record um because he has what it takes to be well over 200 inches absolutely well colton we appreciate you coming on the podcast man i'm sure this is the last time we're gonna have you on uh it, listeners if you've enjoyed this episode you know let us know let us know if you have any specific questions for colton maybe we'll have to get you back on whether you kill him or not and kind of talk some more details. Cause there's a lot of stuff. I, again, I feel like we didn't even, you know, necessarily get to, but I'm excited to kind of see how everything plays out. I was gonna say, it'd be a four hour podcast. And, and I'm like, you know, Andrew's over here like, oh, man, I got a wife and you know, the other room waiting on me. So, uh, we, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't be taking up all night. I gotta get out of this house anyways. But, uh, but Colton, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man, sharing, you know, some of the things that you've learned. Uh, you know, it's exciting, dude. It's cool to find somebody, you know, that's, you know, opposite some of our guests, you know, you know, trying to be really aggressive on the aspect of, you know, you're kind of being invasive, trying to get in that buck's bubble, but also kind of playing it safe, waiting for the conditions right, waiting for that perfect pattern of him coming in there and then going in there and, again, selectively removing him from the herd, as Andre DeQuisto would say. So, uh, again, Cole, appreciate you coming yeah. on, bro. You got, you got anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? Man, I, I just really uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Um, you know, this is something I look forward to, and I hope, you know, I hope you ha- you have me on again this this year with Bamboo, because uh, we fixing them, we fixing to tell everybody. <laughs> um, but that deer, he he deserves to be talked about. Um, but you know, he's got to be killed first, and I hope I'm the one that kills him. But yeah, I mean, hey, I appreciate you guys. Um, you know, I hope I hope there's people that was able to pick up a few things. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they'll get the buck that they've been chasing for years this year. Um, but other than that, the only thing I have to say is don't be afraid to be aggressive. Uh, sometimes you got to think out of the box. Um, you know, there's a lot of YouTubers and big shots out there. They tell you to do the opposite of the things that I'm, that I do. And sometimes you just, you just have to, you just have to go in there and kill the, kill the deer. Um, that, that deer's, he's going to be there. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's really my number one my number one tip is is don't be afraid to force your way in there to kill a deer. Absolutely. Well perfect. Colton, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Listeners, appreciate y'all listening. Now, like I said earlier, make sure you share this episode with a buddy or two. We would greatly appreciate that. And leave us some feedback in one of our reviews. And guys, we'll catch you back here on this coming Friday's episode of Southern Outdoorsman's outro. So y'all have a great rest of your week and uh hey. Best luck to y'all, and y'all stay southern.
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.